You see, if you took an inventory of everything you know and an inventory of all the decisions you make on a daily basis, most things are a matter of common sense. But what we're discovering in this series is that the most important things aren't. Um, In week one, we especially saw how um, most things in life are not a matter of common sense, or the most important things aren't, because the most important thing revolves around who God is. And fully knowing God is not a matter of common sense. It has to be revealed to us. And so what we've simply been doing is seeing some conversations that Jesus had with real people just like you, where he took them from a common sense understanding of God to an uncommon sense understanding of God. And if you missed weeks one or two, you can go back and find them online, BethlehemLakeville.org slash messages, or just click on the messages tab. We made it real easy for you. Lots of content right there if you're ever bored and if you need something to do, because, hey, no one listens to messages unless you're really bored, if you have nothing to do, right? (laughs) That ended up in a bad direction. Here's what we're going to get at today. I want to really just focus on the topic for today. I want to plant it in your mind because we're going to work with this a little bit as we get going here, but I can summarize it in two words. Today is all about your people. And the question is, who are your people? Have you ever walked into a room or walked into a situation and you saw the people around you and you thought to yourself, these are not my people? Probably the biggest example that I can think of in my own life is when I thought back to when I was 21 or 22 years old, and about four of my buddies and me took a trip down to Oklahoma where my parents lived, and we spent spring break down in glorious Oklahoma. And there's this one thing I remember about the trip, and that is one evening we decided, hey, let's go to an establishment here in Broken Arrow and have some beverages. You could probably figure out what we were doing. But we wanted to go to an establishment and have some beverages. And so we're, we're looking, this was before smartphones, so we're, we're driving through downtown Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and there's just nothing out there. Nothing. And so we finally stumble across this one establishment. It was a smaller place, a smaller bar. And it looked really weird on the outside, and so it was just me and one other buddy. We quick ran in just to see what it was like, to see if it was even open, and we walked in. Now, some of you have seen this part in the movies where one or two people walk into a room and everything stops and all the attention goes on them. That is exactly what happened to us. Me and my buddy, we walk into this bar and it's literally just eight or nine people sitting up at this small bar. They're all like in their 50s or 60s. And what I'll never forget is there was this one woman who had some whiskey or something in this hand and a cigarette in the other. She tur- slowly turns and looks at us And she says in this raspy voice, well, hello. (laughs) So what, so what, what did I do? I gave her my number. (laughs) I'm kidding. We didn't stay in there long enough to give her my area code. (laughs) We were out of there. And as we walked out, we just told the other guys, yeah, those are not our people. (laughs) Those are not our people. We all go through that exercise, though, whenever we're in an environment, and I guarantee the first time you walked into this church, you kind of looked around at the people, and you did this little evaluation, and you're thinking, are these my people? Are these my kind of people? You walk into Walmart, and you look around, and you're like, are these my kind of people today? Um, You you walk in anywhere. It could be a job thing. It could be a, a school thing. Are these my people? And that's an important question to ask, because what we all know, especially what we parents know, is that it's important to have the right people. 
You see, the right people will encourage you and strengthen you. The right people you can be vulnerable around and weak around, and they will address it. But the wrong people, the wrong people will exploit your weaknesses. The wrong people will guide you to a path in life that is not good. What we all know from common sense is that it's important to have the right people around you. Now, here's the uncommon sense part of this. This is where we're going to go today. Let's just say the crazy thing happened. Let's just say that God, who is spirit, who exists outside of this universe, independent of time and matter and energy, he's outside of it. Let's say that he became a person and walked on this earth. Crazy thing. Let's Let's just say it happened. Who are the kinds of people that would be his people? You see, the thing about God is, whenever, or the thing about us, whenever you choose your people, it's because you have something in common with them and because you want them to influence you. You have something in common and you want them to influence you. So if God was going to choose his people, well, you got to figure he's going to pick the people most like him, like the best behaved, the people who are most disciplined, the holiest people, right? You got to figure he would only choose the best people, the best that humanity can offer. But today we're going to see that that is not the case. When Jesus started to call together his people, my people, my people, he did not choose the best. Or, if you want to look at it differently, you might argue he did choose the best, but the best were not what the world saw as the best. So just like we did the last couple weeks, we're going to dive into a section from Luke as he um, tells the story of Jesus' life as he records it. But here's what I want you to take away from this today. As we go through this and see the people that Jesus collected around himself, there's two things that are going to happen to you. Number one, you will be challenged to look at your people in a different way. Like the next time you walk into that place where there's not your people, you're going to be challenged to look at that differently. And the second thing that's going to happen today is you're going to be challenged to look at yourself differently. Because you're going to have to ask the question, well, am I one of God's people or not? And we're going to dive into those issues today. So this is Luke chapter 5. Luke is going to get into another account of Jesus' life, and we're just going to jump right into it, and then I'm going to explain a few things on this first slide. So Luke chapter 5. I'm sorry we didn't get fill in number 1. Go back to fill in number 1. The people you pick shape the story you tell. So you would assume that God would pick only the best to tell his important story. But what we're going to do is see is that this is a matter of uncommon sense. God picked people that we wouldn't expect. This is not a matter of common sense. Okay, so now you got fill in one. You don't have to come up to me angry at the end of church and say, you forgot one of them. We didn't forget. Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, I know we kind of do this a little bit every time we mention the tax collectors in the Bible, but it's, it's outside of all our culture, and so it, it deserves a little bit of explanation, and it's real simple. See, there's just a couple things to keep in mind. Number one is that we're talking about the Jewish people here. They're the ones that were being taxed by these tax collectors, but... The taxes were not going to Jewish people. The taxes were going to Rome. Rome had subjugated the Jews. Rome basically said, you're going to pay us for the honor of living. 
And so the taxes went from the Jewish people to the Romans. Now, here's a question for, for the Roman leaders then. How do you convince Jewish people to pay taxes to Rome? You don't want to send a Roman senator or a Roman official to, to, to the Jewish communities, otherwise that Roman official might not come back with his money or with his life. And so they devised this system where they said, we've got it. This is the perfect solution. We're going to hire Jewish people to collect money from themselves. But that brings up a problem. How would you possibly convince a Jew to take money from his own people to give to the government that's oppressing them? And the answer is real simple. Money. They empowered these tax collectors not with just the right to collect money for, for the government, but they could add a sum to that payment and collect it for themselves. That's their due payment. So this made two strikes automatically for any tax collector that you saw in Jesus' day. Strike one was that they were greedy and they were stealing money from their own community. Strike two is that they were taking money and giving it to the oppressive Romans who had subjugated their people. And so it didn't take much for strike three, get out of here. All you had to do was a tax collector looked at you funny and you didn't like him. Okay, so this was a very big tension here. So Jesus sees this tax collector named Levi and, and he says, Levi, I want you to follow me. Now here's where, here's some unexpected sense that takes over. You see, if, if I were Jesus, and you can all be thankful that I'm not, if I were Jesus, I could have gone up to Levi and I could say, Levi, I've got a proposition for you to consider. Levi, I'd like you to clean up your books over the next few weeks. Finish up the month. Send your taxes up to Caesar and collect whatever's due for you. And then, Levi, next month, what I want you to do is start keeping these 20 rules. I want you to be disciplined. I want you to wake up this time. I want you to pray. I want you to you know, give money. You know, I want you to increase your, your level of... Um, the way that people like you in the community. And Jesus could have given him these rules and said, okay, and then after 90 days, I'm going to check in, and then maybe you can follow me. <laughs> but Jesus didn't do any of that. He just found this tax collector alone with nothing but his money, nothing but his booth. Jesus gave him an invitation to follow. Because, here's the thing, Jesus is so much more interested in a relationship than he is with rules. He says, Levi, we got some things to work out. Step one, just follow me, just love me, just trust me. We'll work out the rest later. So Levi left everything. All he had was the profit he could make from this booth. And he said, you know what? I'm going to leave that behind. Jesus, I'm yours. So he follows Jesus. Now, next verse is where things get kind of tricky because Levi is so excited that he holds this great banquet. And this banquet isn't because Levi was such a great, promising disciple of Jesus. And this banquet wasn't because Levi was such an honest tax collector that Jesus picked him out of the, all the others. This was a banquet that celebrated, it was a banquet for Jesus. Because finally, once in his life, Levi experienced something called grace that didn't depend on rules, it didn't depend on what he was doing. Levi found grace, and he decided to celebrate with a great banquet. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others showed up for this feast. And any time in the New Testament when you see a large crowd, you can kind of think things are getting out of control. <laughs> there's so many people and so much chaos going on that there's this large crowd, and it's hard to not notice what's going on. 
And again, you might think to yourself, well, again, if I'm Jesus, this is dangerous territory because if Jesus wants to be a religious, authoritative figure, doesn't he have to be careful with his people? Are these his people in this banquet? And doesn't he have to be careful? And this wasn't just a hypothetical thing, but in verse 30, we start to see that people were wondering this in real time. The Pharisees, and I just noticed this part yesterday, the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, so the teachers of the law who had to keep all the rules just to be considered to belong, they didn't like this. They didn't like that Levi was just brought in without any rules to keep, that all these people could be in the presence of a rabbi and celebrate him. This didn't seem right. They complained to his disciples. Um, when you look at that word, it literally means they were grumbling, 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 grumbling. It wasn't this one-time formal complaint from one person. This was going throughout the banquet, throughout the crowd. Pharisees were grumbling to Jesus' disciples. They're trying to, to cast doubt. Do you really want to follow this guy? Can he have any authority? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and this is the tough one, sinners. Sinners. Not just people who are morally broken on the inside, but these sinners have hurt people. There's a reason they've been labeled sinners. There's a reason the Pharisees deemed them unforgivable. These are the outcasts from society. Why is it that you're eating, drinking with them? Aren't you worried that maybe you're going to send them, these sinners and tax collectors, you're going to send them the wrong message that what they're doing is okay, that you condone it? And they're trying to cast doubt amongst the, the, the disciples. Are you sure <laughs> that these are your people? Now, as I thought about this, there's one takeaway I took away from this, and maybe you will too, and that is that the Pharisees were just as broken as everyone else just as broken. It's just that they were broken in different ways, and they knew how to cover their brokenness a little bit differently. But everyone is broken. The thing is, when I see someone who's broken in a different way than I am, it's real easy for me to point the finger and judge and say, well, why can't you be more unbroken like I am while I'm forgetting the brokenness in me? And that's what you see from the tax collectors, from the Pharisees, teachers of the law so often. I fill in number two. You see, everyone is broken. Everyone has brokenness. But rarely are there two people broken in the exact same way. Never happens. Everyone's broken. It's just so different. But the thing that Jesus eventually does with the Pharisees, he says, guys, you're just as broken as everyone else. You're just broken differently. You need to take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of someone else's. And so Jesus acknowledged everyone is broken here. It's just a matter of being broken in different ways. But what about it? I mean, what about these people? Shouldn't Jesus have some standards as far as what level of brokenness he would accept? Well, here's where we find his answer. So he addresses the Pharisees. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. He's changing the picture on them. He's taking them from where they were thinking, but he's saying that's not the right model. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, to call the righteous my people. I've come to call sinners to repentance. 
Uh, the, the Pharisees were using a model where they said, well, the people around you tell your story, so you got to be careful with them. You have to make sure that they don't influence you in a bad way. But Jesus says, that's not the kind of people I'm thinking of. Jesus says, I'm more like a doctor. I'm more about finding the broken, finding the sick. And it got me thinking, how do you determine how good a doctor is? Have you ever done that where you needed something, you needed a certain kind of doctor, and so you did some research? Well, how do you figure out the best one out there? And I, I don't know the exact context. I don't know the clinic this was, but this was an, I, I heard several years ago that there was a certain clinic, a non-emergency clinic, that would only let in certain people to be seen by their doctors. And the only people it would let in were the people that could be easily treated. So what does that do to their stats? What does that show their success rate to be? That was a highly successful clinic, near 100% satisfaction, near 100% people getting better. But that's not really the good way to look at it, is it? You see, the best doctor is gauged not by who he brings, not, not gauged by uh, the, the stats he puts out, but it's gauged by who he brings in. Jesus says, I did not come to call together all the healthy people. That would have been easy. No, I'm, I'm a lot more serious than that. I came to bring sinners and call them to repentance. I've come to bring together the broken. You see, Jesus understood that the people that are your people, they shape the story you tell. And he understood everyone is broken. It's just that some are broken in different ways. And the amazing thing is that by the world standards, next fill-in, Jesus chose the wrong people the people that peop everyone else had deemed unforgivable, outcast, you do not belong, people that were pushed out. Jesus chose the wrong people by the world's standards to help tell his story and to shape the story that he wanted people to know because he was a doctor, he was a savior that could heal anything. Now, to illustrate that, I have a little guy up here. You've probably been wondering, why does he have so many pens up here? Well, this is a little pen jar. It's made of porcelain. Got a little cool um, blackboard thing here, so if you had a piece of chalk, you could write something on there. The reason I have it up here is because it was a couple of years ago, my youngest son, at the time, he was about three, so a toddler, you know, pushing toddler age. He was here with me in church. I was sitting in my office. He was playing quietly somewhere else. I can't remember why it was just me and him. Probably wasn't wise, but it was what it was. So anyway, he sneaks back into the fusion room, and then the, uh, our, we had a different uh, children's ministry director, but she had this very cool pen jar uh, made of porcelain sitting on her desk. And, and I'll, Aaron, I, I just called him out, Aaron decides he's going to pick this up and come show it to me. Now, if you have ever had a three-year-old, you know that they're either sleeping or running. There's nowhere in between. So Aaron picks this up. He's running from the back room. He's running through the atrium up to my office in the front. And I see him kind of at the last minute with this in his hands. And he's running towards me. And he trips over his shoe, falls flat on the ground. This thing shatters into three pieces. And I'm like, great, I've been here for a few months. And, and the children's ministry director is going to hate me. And some of you guys have been there. You've broken something. And you're like, I need to fix this. So you can see I've, I fixed it. Can you tell? If you looked at it closely, you'd, you could tell that I used super glue. 
it wasn't the greatest job. You can see a crack here. You can actually see a crack up here. You can turn it around and see that there's a very big crack here. I carefully had to piece this together, but I knew going into it that I could get it together, but it would never be the same again. That I could do my best to make it whole, but it would always be weaker for it. And if you tap it, you can hear the hollow spots, that it's not whole anymore, that this is weakened because of it. Now, in the meantime, um, just a little bit later than that, I, I heard about this other thing out there. It's called, let me see if I can pronounce this right, kintsugi. Kintsugi. It's a Japanese word. It means golden joinery. It literally, golden joinery. What they decided was, this is ancient Japan, they decided that they could take broken things, and instead of trying to piece them together and hide the defects, hide the cracks, they decided that they would turn it into art. And instead of using super glue to try to put it back together, they actually used pure gold to bind together the broken pieces. And the end result was that they didn't just have a, a piece that kind of looked put together, but they actually had something more valuable, more beautiful than even before it was broken. Here's a couple of pictures. You see, they take the broken pieces, they put them together, and they don't try to hide where the cracks were. That's actually now the most beautiful part, the strongest part. It's there that it will never be broken again. Here's another picture. You can see how they could take something that was once set aside to be thrown away. Some, at one time, it was something that a husband was going to get in trouble for. But now it's made even more beautiful, even more valuable. You see, some people come to Jesus like this, and they say, I've put myself together. Humpty Dumpty fell down, yeah, but I put him back together. Here I am, Jesus. I've, I've, I've done some things. I've, broke, I've been broken, but I, I'm, I put myself back together. And Jesus will look at that. He'll look at the Pharisees, and he'll say, I can't do anything with that. You think you're whole? You think you're healthy? Fine. Go live in your weakness. Go live in your brokenness. But to those who came to him broken, shattered, to the unforgivables, Jesus said, now these are my people. These are the ones that I can bring together and I will make them even more beautiful than when they started. And the brokenness that they bring to me, I will be their strength, which binds it together. This is the uncommon sense that we're going to end with. Number four, Jesus sees brokenness not as a reason to throw something away. He sees brokenness as an opportunity to add beauty and value. And I'll tell you what, when you start coming to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I tried the super glue and it didn't work, <laughs> and you hold open to him the brokenness inside, it's there that he can add beauty and value even in your failures. Even when you look at yourself and see worthlessness, Jesus sees an opportunity through his forgiveness, through his resurrection, to bring beauty and value. And that's the people that Jesus wanted the most. You see, the people around you, the people that you pick, those are the people that shape the story that you tell, the story of your life. And, and Jesus understood all of us are broken. It's just that we're broken in different ways. And so Jesus decided to choose the broken people to share, to shape the story that he would tell because he saw brokenness as an opportunity to add value and to add beauty. 
And if you like where this is going, you like this concept, the good news is that in a few weeks we're going to start a new series that's all about the different areas of our life where we can be broken, broken spiritually, broken financially, broken relationally, all these different areas. And we see how Jesus uniquely pieces us together through his power, through his blood, through his forgiveness to make us even more beautiful and valuable than when we began. But today there's two things I want you to take home with you. Number one, Who's your people? See, if, maybe there's a group of people right now. Maybe it's a local thing in, in, uh, in, at work or in a store. Or maybe it's, it's an extended thing where just you think of people in general as not having anything in common with you. Why not? What if instead of seeing pe- my people and their people and not my people, what if instead we just saw broken people, broken people in different ways, people that God can add value to through the forgiveness and the purpose that Jesus brings. So what if it's not about my people, your people, their people? What if it's just broken people, broken in different ways to bring glory to God? That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Are you God's people? Are, are you going to come to him and say, God, I've got this pretty much all put together. There's just this one piece I want your help with. Or are you going to come to him and say, I'm broken everywhere. Would you add your beauty, your value, your power, your forgiveness to every broken part in my life? And what you're going to see at the end isn't so much a piece of ceramic. You're going to see solid gold, (laughs) all of it giving glory to God. Let's close up with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, it's natural for us to want to hide our brokenness, to try to put it together on our own, and to find our own power to do it. But I know that our brokenness is not something we can fix. And if we try, we'll we'll get something together, but it'll be weaker, it'll be uglier, it won't work. We're all broken, and we're just broken in different ways. And so I would ask that you would help us to see that What Jesus wanted was the broken people. He wanted to show that there is a way to add value and to add beauty to that which is broken. And that only happens at the cross where our sins are forgiven and where we find new life. So use our brokenness to share your story to the world, a story of love and forgiveness in Christ. It's in his name we pray all these things as we